why, and I know you're standing, but that's why I have such a problem with some of these folks singing, I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Well, I don't read in the scripture where he calls everybody friend. He did call Abraham friend. But I don't see where he calls everybody friend. Now, he did call Judas friend. Maybe that's the way that uh, he's referring to some of these. I don't know. But just, just mark it down that, that you cannot be God's friend and the world's friend at the same time. You have to make a choice. You've got to choose one or the other. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is... Not stands the chance of becoming, but is. Is. I won't say is. Sometimes those little words pack a powerful punch, don't they? Whosoever, therefore, will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. Well, I don't want to be on God's enemy list. And, and I see here a way I can stay off of God's enemy list is by staying off the world's friend list. Um, verse 5. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Now, don't, don't misunderstand this. That's spirit with a small s. It's not dealing with the Spirit of God. Is our human spirit. Our human spirit has contrary desires that go against the plan and purpose of God. And then verse 6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We often quote only that last sentence, but, but there, is, there is a prerequisite. There is a pre-requirement, if you please. The only way the devil's going to flee from you when you resist is if you first submit to God. I know you're standing, but I don't plan to come back and deal with these verses, but I think they're important, and I feel like I need to offer some commentary as we go through them. So just pay attention here. Um, verse 8, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Now, this is important for what I'm going to talk to you about tonight. Because I want you to see... What God says. You want God to come closer to you? He will only do that if you make the first step. God's not going to impose upon you. If you'll draw close to God, if you'll do things to get yourself closer to God, God will in turn. 
start drawing closer to you. I'm afraid too many of us are saying, let me walk with you, Jesus, and all the while going in the opposite direction from him. It really struck me sometime back many, many years ago. I was in prayer and I was praying and it, it was, you know, it was one of those things that generally was a part of my daily prayer and I I was praying, Lord, would you walk with me today? Would you walk with me today? And boy, all of a sudden it just hit me. And I said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I asked you to walk with me. God, would you let me walk with you today? I think that's the way it ought to be. Um, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you cleanse your hands you sinners purify your hearts you double minded be afflicted and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up for everything that the Bible says here that God will do for us There are things we must first do for God. Do you see that? There's no promise that God's just going to step in and start doing things. There is a call for you to do things first. And then God will respond to what you are doing. That is is relevant to what I want to talk to you about. And um, I'll give you my title We'll pray, I'll let you be seated, and then I want to to explain a little something to you here tonight as we get started. I'm going to talk to you tonight from this thought, missing your miracle. Missing your miracle. Would you put your Bibles down, lift your hands, lift your voices. Let's talk to the Lord together, everybody right now. Can we do that all across this house? Would you join us in prayer right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. We need the touch of the Holy Ghost in this service. God, I feel so strongly in my spirit, God, that I have found the mind of God for this service. Now help me to deliver it, Lord. Don't let it be my words, but let it be your words. I'm asking you, God, that you would govern, God, my speech tonight. God, that you would help me to deliver the mind of God to the people of God tonight. Lord, would you grant to them ears that they might hear what the Spirit says. Would you help them to receive with meekness the engrafted word that's able to save their souls. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you tonight. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Let's worship him together, can we, everybody? Let's worship the Lord. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Praise God. I feel the Holy Ghost trying to move here tonight. I really believe God wants to do something in this house tonight. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Last Thursday night, I uh, started a, 
or taught a lesson um, that I said was the first in a series that I felt led to bring to this church. I titled last week's lesson, Faithful Stewards. Hopefully you have not forgotten what was said in that lesson. I uh, fully, fully intended and still intend to address the principles that I introduced to you last week. I talked to you last week about the fact that God calls us stewards, meaning that it is our job to oversee His possessions. One of the main points of my lesson last week was to uh, inform you, if not remind you, that the things that we so often call ours are really not ours. They're His. And what we do with those things, we're going to answer to God for the way we've handled them because they don't belong to us. They belong to Him. They are His possessions. And what we do, the way we handle His possessions, we will be called into account for someday. I mentioned to you that the Bible specifically says our bodies belong to God. Our bodies are God's. And we've got to be good stewards of our bodies. Our spirits are God's. We've got to be good stewards of our spirits. We don't just let our attitudes go wherever they want. We got to get control of some things because they belong to God. They're not ours. They're not ours. I pointed out to you from the scripture. We often have the misconception that 10% of our income is God's. Really, every penny that passes through our hands is really His. And I believe we will answer to God for the way we handle our money. Oh, yes, I do believe that. I don't believe that we can just squander things unnecessarily. For our own pleasures. I'm not saying you have to give every penny to the work of God. But I am saying that I do think that we have to be able to reconcile God's purpose in the way we handle our finances. Um, And then I also pointed out to you that the children that come into your home are not yours. They're not yours. They're God's. They're God's. And you know, Brother Merriman was mentioning to me that he's, he's in the process right now of adopting two children. And, and he said, you know, it, it hit him so strong. I don't want to misquote you, but it hit him so strong that even these children, the Bible doesn't say the children that are born to you are the heritage of the Lord. 
but just that all children are the heritage of the Lord. They all belong to God. And so the two children that God, it seems, is bringing into the Merriman home, those are God's kids. And, and you're going to answer to God for them as much as you will your own offspring. I believe that. I believe that. Now, I am not abandoning that series. In fact, we really could have just called this part two in some ways. Because what I want to address tonight is very deeply intertwined into the principles that I addressed last week. I, 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 want, I want to just bring to your remembrance some things as I talked about our children and it seems I've been on this, this path now for days dealing with the scriptural revelation that I received that the nurture the Bible says that we have an obligation to bring our children up in the nurture of the Lord and that word nurture literally means the entire educational process this is what the scripture teaches you as a parent have an obligation before God to see to it Every bit of education your child receives is what God wants that child to receive. It's quiet when I get on this. But if you think I'm going to back away from it, you're wrong. I, I, I mentioned to the church Tuesday night, this is not just some little tangent that I'm on. This is not just some little hobby horse that I'm riding right now. But I am feeling more and more with every day that passes and with every prayer that I pray, I am feeling an urgency in the Holy Ghost. Something's about to happen. And we had better prepare ourselves for what's about to transpire. I'm feeling it. And evidently I'm not the only one feeling it. I told the church Tuesday night, church that I spoke with another pastor who the very week that I was addressing this issue was getting up before his church and addressing the same issue telling them some of the very same things only he was using even stronger language than I did I can't tell you how many preachers I have talked to since then who are telling me how strongly they are feeling about the hour we're living in and the steps we're going to have to take. I, I, I mentioned to a couple of people after prayer meeting Tuesday night that, that this feeling is so strong, this urgency is so great that honestly, I, I, and I'm, I'm not trying to over, overblow this thing, but I'm just telling you, I don't know when I have ever felt what I'm feeling. But there is this sense in me of, of if, if I could put it this way, of impending danger that is waiting around the corner for our children. And we've got to do something about it. 
Now, I, I also told a few folks that I talked to, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to happen this year. I don't know. I'll know. I know this, that God gave Joseph principles on how to prepare for a famine that wouldn't arrive until seven years later. But he gave the dream seven years ahead of time because it was going to take seven years to get everything in order. Are you following me? I don't know when the danger's coming. All I know is the urgency that's in me says we can't wait seven years to try to do something about it. We got to do something. We've got to start making steps right now. Just telling you what I feel. Telling you what I feel. Even today, even today, I was reading where another preacher made a statement. This is what he said. He said, uh, the old quote, an idle mind is a devil's workshop, is not completely true. The public school system is indeed the devil's workshop. The devil started at a grassroots level while we were caught up in careers, money, cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, and a dozen other things that are just stuff and quietly stole our children a generation at a time. Two generations later, look who is in control. Now the system dictates the values and makes the rules. Welcome, he said, to the 21st century. When I read it, I was, I was astounded because, again, another man, I haven't talked to him, I haven't shared my feelings with him, but another preacher is feeling exactly what I'm feeling using some of the same words I've been using I'm just telling you, church, there's something going on in the Holy Ghost right now. And we'd better shake ourselves, and we'd better recognize that it is a warning from God. And we've got to do something about it. Now, why am I even dealing with this right now if that's not the direction I'm going? I want to tell you why. Because... Because, you know, I've been expressing this now for days. And, and I've heard from several of you who say, Pastor, we, we, we want to do something. We've got to do something. And, 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 and then I'm hearing, but, but I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't see how we're going to be able to do what, what we know we need to do. And we need a miracle. Can I get a witness? Got to have a miracle. I can't do it without a miracle. Now, now hear me, new life. Hear me and hear me well. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I am absolutely 100% convinced that God is able to perform any miracle we need him to perform. I wish some more of you were convinced of that fact. Ephesians 3 and 20, one of my favorite scriptures, said this. Now unto him, unto him that is that able, is to, able do exceeding, to do exceeding abundantly above, above all, above that we ask all, all that we ask or think. According to the According power, to the power that, that we're going to. I'm telling you, God's able to perform your miracle. God's able to do what you need him to do. God has the power. God has the ability. God can do.
it. Convinced of that. I have no doubt in my mind he's able. I have no doubt in my mind that prayer changes things. James chapter 5 verse 16. Is anybody going to help me tonight? Or is this going to be a one-man show? I I certainly hope not. I'm feeling what I'm feeling and I'm feeling it strong. And I hope I've got some help here tonight. Amen. James chapter 5 verse 16. Read. Confess your faults one to another Uh and pray one for another that ye may be healed. And then he said... The effectual, the effectual fervent, fervent prayer, prayer a of a righteous man, man availeth, availeth much. much. I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart, prayer changes things. We can pray about this situation and God can answer. I am 100% convinced that faith Moves mountains. James chapter seven. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter seventeen, verse twenty. And Jesus said unto them. Jesus said, because of your unbelief. Uh-huh. For verily I say unto verily you, or truly I say to you, if you have faith, if you as a have of faith, seed, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto you this mountain. You shall say to the mountain, remove hence to yonder remove place. Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible to you shall be impossible unto you I'm telling you there's not a mountain big enough that faith can't move it so I don't want you to misunderstand me God is able somebody say it God is able Prayer changes things. Say it. Faith moves mountains. Say it. I believe those things with all of my heart. I believe those things with all of my heart. But I'm going to tell you, there is something about how God answers that I'm afraid very few of us really realize. Let's look again at our text tonight. James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Listen to what he says. Ye lust and have not. You lust. And, and that, word, that word doesn't necessarily mean uh, sexual desires. We, we've kind of allowed that word to, to devolve into that definition. But the word lust simply means a strong urge or a, or, or a, a desire. Uh, it's a strong desire. And, and, and generally it's dealing with issues of carnality. It's what your flesh desires. And so he said you've got these carnal desires. And you have not. You kill. You kill. And desire to you have. desire to have. And cannot obtain. You, you, you cannot get the things you want to get. Now look at what he's talking about. There's something that God's able to do anything, right? God's able, right? Prayer changes things, right? Faith moves mountains, right? But James said, you're wanting that mountain moved and it's not going anywhere. You're wanting something changed and it's not being changed. 
on, Pastor. Preach it. Hallelujah. You cannot obtain. You fight. You war. Yet have not. Yet you have not. Because, because you ask you ask not. Now, in, this, in these two verses, James lists two reasons why we don't get our prayers answered. One of them is because we never ask. Right? And we, we, how many times have we quoted or heard someone else quote this portion of this passage? You have not because you ask not. And that's true. There are times your prayers go unanswered because you've never really asked God for it. I've said to you before, too many times we pray generic prayers. Oh, God, move. And that means absolutely nothing. It doesn't mean, there's no meaning behind that. Move. Move how? Move where? Move on whom? Move what? To just pray God move means nothing. Oh, God, stir. God, stir. Stir what? Stir whom? And so we're really not asking for anything. Oh, God, bless. Bless how? Right? Even when we pray, God, change me. Change you into what? We've got to become more specific. So, so I think it's not a matter of James saying, well, you just never even prayed about it, though that can be part of it. I think sometimes it's a matter of you really didn't pray about it even though you thought you did because you didn't specifically ask God to do anything and that's one reason why our prayers go unanswered and I taught I taught a whole series on prayer you can go back and get it I put the whole thing on one CD where you could listen to all of it together put it in mp3 format put my notes there so you could read through it made it available to everybody don't know that anybody has taken advantage of it but made it available to everybody it's there. The information's there. Taught on it. Taught on asking amiss here. And that's the second thing. That re- let's read on. He you did. ask and receive you not. You ask. He said, now sometimes you do ask and you still don't get. Because, Why? Because you ask because amiss. Because you ask amiss. That you may consume, that you may it, upon consume your lust. it upon your lust. And so here James gives us the second reason why our prayers go unanswered. It may not be because we haven't asked, but it may be because we're asking amiss. Now, you know, again, I I taught on this. I dealt with this to some degree in our series on prayer. In fact, I taught an entire series on unanswered prayer and all the reasons why our prayers could go unanswered. I specifically dealt with asking amiss, and I just basically gave you a thumbnail definition of asking amiss, which was, from the context, simply asking based on carnal desire. When you're asking God to let you win the sweepstakes, that's a carnal desire. That's right. I've said it before. You know, you try to impress God. Well, God, I'll give, I'll give 20% to the church. God's not interested in you giving 20%. God's interested in the fact that you are selfishly asking him for 80% of it. And you don't need that 80%. You just want it. That's a carnal desire. That's asking amiss to consume it on your own lust. And that's the way that I presented it to you. But really, it goes much deeper than just that. That's not inaccurate. But there is something else here that we need to understand. The word amiss 
has other ways that it can be translated from the original. It can also be translated badly. You ask badly. Or miserably. Or wrongly. Or improperly. That's where I want to focus tonight for just a few more moments. I'm not going to keep you long. But for just a few more moments, I want to focus on this improper asking. Because I really felt like in prayer this morning, God talked to me. And this church knows I don't just get up and say God spoke to me unless I really am convinced God spoke. Right? I've told you that through the... I don't just get up and say that behind the pulpit. I don't. But I'm telling you, I believe God spoke to me today. I believe He talked to me today about some of you. Because God has heard this request that God, if you'll give us a miracle, and God wants you to know something about that request. I'll talk to you about it. In order for me to show you what I really am feeling tonight in the Spirit, we're going to have to look at the precedent that God set way back in the beginning. And, and I'm not going to take the time to read a lot of these scriptures. I, I, I know that's normally my, my way of doing things, but I'm asking just to bear with me tonight because I think this is common enough that I don't have to go back and read it to you. I think everybody here has a comprehension of these things and know uh, you know these things. When God created the earth, He created it from nothing. Contrary to the teachings of science, the world did not begin by the collision of two particles, which they've never been able to explain where the particles came from. That's not the way it happened. You know how the world was created, right? In the beginning, there was nothing but God. But God changed all that. And he changed it simply by his spoken word. He said, let there be. And there was. Let there be light. And there was light. Let there be a firmament. And there was a firmament. Let there be a division between water and land. And there was a division. Let there be fowls in the heavens and beasts on the earth. And there were. God said it. There was nothing there, and God created it into existence. With one exception. With one exception. God did not say, let there be man. Right? What did he do? Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. He did what? He formed man. How? Of the dust of the ground. Read. And breathed into and his breathed nostrils. into his nostrils. The breath of life. The breath of life. And man and became man a living became soul. A living soul. God did not say, "Let there be man." Though he had said, "Let there be everything else that was created," God did not say, "Let there be man." 
God did not create man out of nothing. God took something that was already in existence and God transformed it from dust to flesh. Hallelujah. And I submit to you that as I have searched the scriptures, I have yet to find a time after the creation of man that God ever created anything out of nothing. Beginning with man, he took what already existed and changed it into something else. And I can't find, I can't find where God ever again simply said, let there be and something appeared where nothing had been. But it appears to me that any time in the scripture God ever performed a miracle, he did it in one of three ways. Are you with me? One of three ways. Nobody else is with me? All right, all right, all right. I only heard one amen or come on or whatever it was. And so I just want to make sure everybody else is still with me as well. But there, were, there was always one of three methods that God used for any miracle he performed. First of all, there was the miracle of transformation. That's what he did when he created man. He transformed dust into flesh. Yes, sir. Yes. Transformation. There was the miracle of multiplication. Where God took a certain quantity and extended it. Such as the loaves and fishes. Now look, look, I want you to hear me. God had the power when he's looking at the 5,000 men, not counting women and children. To simply say, let there be meals. He had that power. But he had set a precedent. And God did not create fish. God multiplied fish. In fact, he really didn't multiply fish. He multiplied pieces of fish. Because the Bible later comes back and says that he fed the 5,000 with two fishes and five loaves. Not with 20,000 fishes that he had made from two fishes. He multiplied the piece of fish, and every time they broke off some fish, there was more fish there to break off. He multiplied what already existed. So, we have the miracle of transformation, dust to flesh. The miracle of multiplication, loaves and fishes. We have the miracle of regeneration which is restoration, restoring what has been to its previous state. Right? Which we could go through any list of miracles where the Lord simply restored the health that was not there before or had been there before and God restored it, put it back to the way it was. Right? So, so I'm just telling you that my study of the Scripture has come 
has led me to believe that God no longer in his dealings with man will just create something from nothing. But he will either transform, multiply, or regenerate and thereby perform a miracle. I challenge you to think about any miracle you want to think about throughout the scripture and see if it doesn't fall into one of these three categories. Let's talk about just a couple of them very quickly here. I I promise you I'm nearly done because I'm going to make my point and then we're going to pray. But I want want to drive this home. John chapter 2. The first miracle Jesus performed was he provided wine for the wedding, right? He provided wine. Do you know that God could have said, let there be wine? And just miraculously filled those empty vessels. But he didn't. John chapter 2. Where did we start? About verse Seven. All right, read. Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water. Fill them with something else. I'm not going to create from nothing. This was hard work. They didn't have water hoses. They didn't have running tap water. These, these barrels held two to three firkins apiece, which was 20 to 30 gallons apiece, six of them, 120 to 180 gallons in order to fill them up. And you're bringing them back at what? Five gallons at a time? It's a lot of work, isn't it? But Jesus did not speak wine into existence. He said, fill them with, with what? Fill them with water. Give me something to work with. Uh Read. And they fill them up to the the brim. And he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine. The water that was made wine this is my point we don't have to go any farther this is my point this was not a miracle of creation this was a miracle of transformation it started as water jesus said give me something to work with and when they presented him with water he changed it he transformed it into wine What about the little widow woman? The creditors are coming. They're going to take her kids away. She goes to Elisha. What am I going to do? How am I going to to pay my bills? I don't have any money. My husband's dead. I, I don't have any way to do this. Tell me what to do. What does Elisha say to her? This is this is 2 Kings 4, verses 2 through 4. Read. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Uh Uh-huh. Tell me what thou hast. Tell me. Tell me what you have. Tell me what's there. Read. And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Except I do have one pot of oil. That's all I have. One pot of oil. 
street. Then he said, go, he said, go borrow, borrow the vessels abroad vessels of all thy neighbors, of all your neighbors, even empty vessels, even empty vessels borrow, not a, borrow few. not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt come in, shut the door upon the door thee and upon, upon, thee, thy sons, upon thy sons, and shalt pour out and into start all pouring out. Take what you have and give it to God and let God perform a miracle of multiplication. God did not tell her through the prophet, just go get empty vessels and I'm going to fill them up with oil. He said, you take what you have. You have to present something in order for me to perform a miracle for you. I'm not just, I don't know if you're getting what I'm telling you, but God said, I'm not just going to create it out of thin air. You got to have something to give me. And when you give me something, I'll do something with it. It's not much. I know. I know. I know. doesn't matter. But you got to give me something. And God multiplied her one pot of oil yes. until it filled every vessel she could get her hands on to the point. And if we went on and read the rest of the story, you remember how that she said, there's not any more vessels I can even borrow. I borrowed everything that's available. There's nothing else to borrow. But every one of them were full. And then the prophet said, now go and take what you've got and sell the oil. Now again, God could have said, just open your closet door. There's stacks of money in there. But that's not the way he works. God said, give me what you've got. You want a miracle? Present me with something. What about naming the leper? He needs a miracle. He's going to die. He goes to the prophet. The prophet said, go and dip yourself. Seven times. He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to do that. Jordan River's muddy, and it is muddy, friend. It hadn't changed in 3,000 years. It, it hadn't changed. It's still a muddy river. But he didn't want, he didn't want to get in that water. He didn't want to do that. And, and honestly, I mean, let's think about it. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the prospect right now. We go to Africa in just about a week and a half, and and I'm just a little concerned about, and I'm just being honest, a little, little concerned about getting in the water to baptize people. <laughs> Lord, sanctify this, would you? But think about a man whose body is already filled with disease getting into dirty water. That's not a good combination. But God said, do it. And when God performed the miracle for Naaman, listen to what he did. 2 Kings 5, verse 14. Then went he down and dipped himself dipped seven himself times, seven in, times Jordan, in Jordan, according to the according saying of the man of God. To the saying of the man of God. And his flesh, and his flesh came, again. came again. Everyone say, came again. Came again. His flesh came again. Again, like unto the flesh, like of a unto child. the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. and he was clean. God did not create new flesh for Naaman. 
God restored or regenerated the flesh that Naaman had. I'm trying to drive a point home and go through, I don't care, go through any miracle you want to find in the scripture. I'm telling you, it's one of these three things. It's either transformation, multiplication, or regeneration. One of those three ways, the only ways that God performed a miracle. So what in the world does that have to do with stewardship? What does it have to do with getting a miracle? In fact, some of you may be asking, what's it got to do with anything? Well, it has a lot to do with everything. This is a part of stewardship. This really is a part of stewardship. Because see, when I was praying this morning, and some of you are saying, we need a miracle. And I'm praying, God, they need a miracle. And it, it just, I just felt like God spoke to me and said, I want to give them a miracle, but I don't create something out of nothing anymore. And I'm going to tell you, some of you that are saying, oh yeah, I'll gladly put my kids in a Christian school. Oh yeah, I'll gladly do this if God will give me a miracle. I'm going to tell you something. The reason God's not going to give you a miracle is because you are expecting to continue living the way you've always lived and God just drop you money out of the sky. I'm preaching to you tonight. I don't expect you to run the aisles, but I'm telling you, I got a word from God for some people sitting on these pews tonight. If you want God to perform a miracle for you, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to do something. In my opinion, you are asking amiss. You are asking God to give you something while you just continue to live the way you've always lived. Well, hallelujah. Keep doing the things you've always done. And God, you just give us something out of nothing. And God's saying, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not doing that. You want me to provide? You really believe this is the right way? Then I'm calling on you. There's something you're going to have to do if you want a miracle. Well, hallelujah. I'm telling you, look around your house and find what you can get rid of. Oh, but I enjoy this. Oh, but, but this is my only form of recreation. Are your kids worth sacrificing your recreation? If they're not, you've got a major problem, honey. Well, I just felt another little, but I'm going to plow on anyhow. I'm just telling you, if you'll, take, if you'll say, all right, God, I'm going to start emptying some stuff out. I'm going to get rid of some things. I'm getting rid of things that mean something to me, but I'm going to provide you with something. I'm going to tell you what, as you begin to put those items up for sale, you can ask God then, Lord, here it is. This is what I'm giving you. I'm asking you now to transform these items into the money I need to do what needs to be done. Sit down and get your budget set up and, and look at what you're doing and how much you're going out to eat and how much you're wasting on, on this, that, and the other and start tightening up your budget and say, God, I can only make a few adjustments here and there, but I want you to see I am making adjustments and I'm asking you to multiply the adjustments that I make. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Don't sit there and expect God to drop money out of heaven for you. No, honey, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to give God something to work with. 
uh, see, when God regenerated Naaman's skin, he didn't just regenerate it to the stage it had been as an adult. He gave it that clear, smooth, pimple-free, wrinkle-free complexion of a baby. When God regenerated it, He made it better than what it had been. I, uh, I'm coming to a close, musicians. Come. I told this story in, in Mountain View this weekend. I haven't thought about it in quite a while. Years ago, when I was pastoring Colorado, we left the state of Texas feeling the call. We had a, a, a decent church, decent-sized congregation. Not an engineer. Had no way to support myself except just trust God. We moved from Texas to Colorado. I had to rent a house to live in. There was no place to live in the church. It was a small little building. I had to have somewhere to live. We rented a house. But I couldn't sell my house. The economy at that point was, was bad. Couldn't sell my house. House payment, 400 and some odd a month. Um, this was 1991. And I couldn't sell the house. And I, I had tried renting it to the new pastor that came in, but he contacted me after a few months and said, I just can't afford it. I can't afford to live there. and We've got to move out and find something cheaper. And so he left, and it just left me vacant. So now I'm paying rent in Colorado and a house note in Texas with a congregation of six people and no other income. And that's not easy. My pastor had an anniversary service every year in the summer. And, you know, we just, he's my pastor. I'm going to be there. I'm going to honor the man of God in my life. It's just the way it is. So we scraped together what we could. And we headed to Texas for his anniversary services. One day during the service, they said, we need to receive an offering for this man for his anniversary. I wanted to give. But you understand that I'm paying two notes. I have almost no income. At this point in time, I was two months behind on the house note in Texas. That's not a very good feeling because I've always been very diligent about paying my bills. I had no choice. But they wanted an offering from my man of God. They said, how many will give $100? I looked at my billfold. I had $100. I stood up. I'll give. That's my man of God. I don't know how I'm going to pay my house note. I'm not even sure how I'm going to get back to Colorado, but we'll get there. God will take care of us. The next day, the next day, end of the service the preacher's closing his message ask everyone to stand I'm standing 
Brother Wayne McLean was sitting on the pew beside me. As everyone started praying for the altar call, Brother McLean slipped over and put his arm around me. And he said, Brother Riggin, how much do you need? I just dropped my head. I, I said, well, what do you mean? He said, you know exactly what I need. You've got a financial need, and I want to know how much. I said, well, <laughs> I have not said a word to anybody, you hear me? I didn't go around begging for money. I didn't go tell everybody. I, had, I just, I never said a word to anybody but God. Brother McLean said, said, how much? I said, well, Brother McLean, I, he said, would $1,000 help? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But here's what I'm telling you. I'd prayed about those two, nun, two, two months that I was behind. I'd prayed many prayers for God to meet that need. Are you hearing me? I needed a miracle. I needed an answer from God. But I don't care how much I prayed, Brother Merriman, I never got those bills paid until I got up and took the little bit I had and I gave it to God. And within 24 hours, God multiplied it 10 times. Well, hallelujah. This may not be what you're hoping to hear, but I'm telling you, I believe I have a word from God. If you want God to perform a miracle, you're going to have to give him something to work with. Well, hallelujah. Look, this principle applies. Let's stand. This principle applies to so many things. Some of you are praying, God save my loved ones. God save my loved ones. You hadn't said a word. You've never invited them to church. You hadn't tried to teach them a Bible study. You want God to create a miracle out of nothing. work that way God set a precedent when it comes to man if you're going to get something you're going to give something for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap so you sow nothing what are you going to reap nothing really want a miracle you're going to have to sow something. You're going to have to do something. Well, hallelujah. I don't know how to close the service tonight. Except to say.